On this episode of Real Estate Insights, I'm joined by Katie Four of The Elevated Stag. We discuss the challenges of remodeling your high-rise condominium unit, dealing with the structural committee for your HOA, and how TIFF treats can go a long way to stay in people's good graces. I hope you enjoyed the episode and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. This is Real Estate Insights with Troy Schlicker. Welcome back to Real Estate Insights with Troy Schlicker. Today I am joined by Katie Four of The Elevated Stag. How is it going today, Katie? Going great. Thanks, Troy. It's great having you on. It was actually nice seeing you in person for once. As, as convenient as it is to do these things virtually, makes it real easy for recording and real easy for much easier for scheduling side of things versus having to get to the same place at the same time. It was cool to actually see you in person this week. So that was fun. It was great. Thanks for coming by. I actually got to go down and see the condo where you're at and also where you're doing kind of one of your first renovations in the condo. One of the kind of newer, probably, I actually think it might be the newest high rise in downtown at 44 East as far as completion of the project in that regard. And you're already in there looking to make changes because things haven't turned out quite as good as some people have wanted. Yes, there's definitely some floor plans that aren't people are not favoring. There's some finishes. When you're in a building like this, oftentimes the developer only offers two or three finishes that you get to choose from when you're purchasing the unit. And if somebody isn't super happy with any of those finishes, they may choose to come in and totally revamp and redo things. Yeah. That and then especially with the high rises there, like because this one's 48 floors or 49 floors, like that's a number of years that it takes to do the project. And so in a lot of cases, they have picked out material three years ago, potentially two, right. three years ago that they're deciding to put in. And like you say, they're only doing a couple of different options. And so not that, again, not that it looks that dated per se, but it also doesn't necessarily always look that phenomenal either. Yeah. And I think what we talked about the last podcast was about material selections and how quickly those can get discontinued. And so that's also happened here. There's several units that have needed to do some repairs and like the flooring just doesn't exist anymore. So there's also part of that as well. When you have to choose new flooring, if there's not something that matches exactly, then you may have to make some adjustments there as well. You think there'd be a way, not that not that it's easy because it's almost all wood flooring in the main mm -hmm. part of the home. But you think because of that, there'd be a way if needed. I know you guys aren't doing the flooring specifically, but they'd almost have a way of trying to recapture that flooring for any of the units that are would ever change that just so they would have extras available. Now, again, that's probably more time, effort and cost than it's really worth because the developer, once they get it done, they don't really care. But right. that's the main part. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. kind of, whatever, we're done. We did our part. But I think I would imagine that could be rather valuable if, again, if just one unit had a thousand square feet of that flooring, like that could be valuable to like three or four different units down the road that have small little things that come up. Yes especially because the flooring is continuous in a lot of these high rises. So they don't have transitions between rooms, which means if one room has an area that needs to be repaired and they don't have that flooring, you're going to basically have to refloor the entire condo or create a transition between the two rooms and find a different flooring that would complement what's already there. Which, yeah, at that point in time, it gets challenging because they trying to, I think what I, you see a lot of times is people try to match it. And then that actually usually looks worse than trying to complement it in a lot of cases. So speaking of high rises, it seems like as good a topic as any to maybe talk about some of the additional challenges that you face doing remodels 
on high rises versus doing remodels on houses. And even I mean, just even condos in general, like high rises do present some of their own unique challenges compared to lower rise condos, but both condos, high rises and low rises are going to have some distinct differences from regular homes. So what are some of those big things that you run into on high rises that you don't maybe don't run into in home? Yeah. So I've worked in a lot of the downtown condo buildings from 360 to 555, Austonian, the 5th and West building over on West 6th Street, and then now 44 East. And the high rises present a different challenge because there is, of course, an HOA, which a lot of communities have that even single family homes. But you have the HOA board and the structural review committees that have to approve a lot of the projects that we do, which means we have to submit pretty extensive plans along with materials, the pictures of the materials, the links to the actual materials themselves so they can review those. There's specific underlayment requirements that go into the flooring. So if you remove any flooring and then replace the flooring, you actually have to put a specific type of soundproofing underneath these floors. And that can present its own challenge because they each building has a different requirement of soundproofing that you wish that they could just all be the same, <laughs> but they're not. Procuring that from different vendors, that is, is just a small part of it. And then it comes to so getting the freight elevators reserved, especially in newer buildings, because you still have a lot of people that are moving in. We also have the construction crews that are still on site, finishing up some of the higher floors. And so we're sharing a lot of the elevator space with those people and trying to get elevators to be able to reserve for the timeframes that you need them for your crews to come in and to bring debris down and to bring materials up. It can, you know, it's just a lot of moving parts. So having great relationships with the concierge teams, the HOA committees, and the loading dock managers is really tantamount to whether your project succeeds or fails or rises and falls on that. And it's just a lot more challenging as a contractor as well too, right? Like normally you go to a single family home, you just pull your truck right up to the side of the house right. and can start doing your thing. And, and that's not the case, especially if you're, especially if you're in downtown, because one, trying to park somewhere is a challenge in and of itself. And then yeah. it doesn't make, obviously you have to do it if you have to do it, but like either lugging all your stuff up to the 32nd floor or, oh shoot, I forgot something in my truck and I've got to go down to the 32nd floor to pick up one thing that I forgot. It happens a lot. People forget their tools. They forget a screwdriver. They forget something else. They have to run back down to the truck. And then parking, of course, is an issue. We're lucky to have at least a street down 44 East, down East Avenue. There's typically additional parking if they get here early enough. Throughout the day, it fills up, of course, but they don't get the luxury of parking in the back alley. They have to like unload and then they have to go park their truck somewhere else. I've literally had an electrician and I think a tile guy at one point that just, they drove downtown and looked for about five minutes for parking, couldn't find any, so they just left. <laughs> so we'll come back another day. <laughs> yeah, we're just, I'm not, Which we're, of course, we're with that. those things happen and then it throws your whole schedule off. So that it's just a lot of, of, management that I think a lot the homeowners don't necessarily know until they've had to do it themselves. And then they're like, yeah, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And those of us who do attempt it, and I feel like I thrive in this environment. I really enjoy the challenge of it. And people think I'm crazy, but there's a reason that we charge a premium to work in these buildings. It's a lot, it's just a whole different ball game than working in single family homes. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned too, was the structural committee, which I think Maybe a lot of people would understand more so when it comes to a condo, right? Obviously, you can't just be knocking walls down and playing Jenga with a condominium building. That's not going to end up very well for anyone. But on those committees, do they, for the high rises, do they have 
restrictions as far as even some of the interior design aesthetics and stuff, or is it more so just truly the structural components of the unit so that stuff isn't compromised, obviously, with the building as a whole? Yeah, they require us to send all the materials so that they can see what's being used. There are certain restrictions within the bylaws that say, like, you can't have all tile throughout your unit. So if somebody wanted to remove all the wood flooring and put only tile in, there would be issues with that because of the soundproofing and making sure there's correct moisture barrier between the concrete and the tiles. And there's just a whole slew of other things that, that go into that and that aesthetically the client has to be aware of. It's not necessarily like what colors they choose, but it's the specific material that is something that they will consider and that they look at. And is that, and I'm assuming say with most of the units, obviously the soundproofing side of stuff is probably pretty common for all the different high rises, especially because here in Austin, all those high rises are relatively new. Even the old 360 building is still not even 20 years old from in that regard. So they're still new and going to be under a lot of those new things, whereas potentially older low-rise units may not have some of those built in if they weren't thinking about some of those things ahead of time back when they were built in the 60s or 70s. Yeah, and the the like exterior, so obviously all exterior, whether it's the hallways and the common space or the exterior of the building and the windows, all of that is something that is not allowed to be altered. But that goes so far as to make the color of your shades have to be a specific color. They can't just be whatever you want. So they have to go, anyone that's installing shades along the exterior perimeter of their condo has to go through an approval process of the color of the shade that they're going to have installed. Yeah. And so again, like I say, it it makes, I think people can maybe understand more being in a common space like those high-rise condos that... Some of that stuff, it seems very obvious and necessary, right? No one would want the sound barrier removed from the floor above them. So they had to deal with that on a daily basis so they can understand that for them too. Obviously, when you start to get to the color side of things, people tend to be a little bit more perturbed that they have restrictions on a place that's their own. But I think a lot of people don't realize that even when a lot of times when you're buying a single family home, if it's a home that was built in the last, especially the last 10 to 15 years, but even the last 20 or so years, that you ha- if you have an HOA, which you're likely to have if it was built in that time frame here in Austin, Texas, that you probably have some a structural review board with that HOA for the single family home subdivision too. Now it's not as restrictive as the condominiums are because you don't have a neighbor directly below you, you don't have a neighbor right. touching you. And so usually you can get away with doing the majority of what you want to do inside the home. But a lot of them will have structural review stuff for exterior things because they want to keep up with the aesthetic of the neighborhood, want to make sure that all the homes to a certain degree, the same. So that way they try to keep property values up. So that way it's a more uniform kind of feel rather than what you in some of the areas in Austin, where it's not, where there aren't HOAs and it can be very gentrified. You can have a home from 1954 next to a home from 2021. That's four times as big and almost looks out of place that way. Right. What do, have you run into any surprising hiccups when it comes to talking to the structure review boards, either for condominiums or for single family homes at all? I think maybe a little early on, yes, but it's been pretty consistent across the board in the different buildings. Obviously, there each has its own little bit of nuances that you have to learn and understand, and, and some people are really strict about the policies and the procedures and some are a little bit more lax and you get to know that between the buildings but making sure that the subcontractors and the contractors that are coming in to do the work 
are fully aware of all that. So nobody gets their panties in a twist. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny with HOA boards, right? Like they can be, can be, again, usually they have some, they they obviously have some rules and regulations, but sometimes they can be guardrails and other times it's prison bars as far as like what people are wanting out of them. And so again, with the kind of news downtown, I'm sure again, once you start to do it, it becomes easy. You understand how to navigate the system the same way that as you start to do anything on a regular basis, it just becomes a lot easier to handle and do. And so it feels like second nature now for you guys. It does. And I run into a lot of homeowners that, and even some newer contractors and designers, maybe that are new to that particular building. And I overhear a lot of conversations and I see what they do that irks the the staff that makes their jobs harder if they forget to reserve the elevator and the moving crew show up for a furniture install but they didn't tell anyone and they basically have to turn them away because it's like yeah, it, it, isn't just, it isn't just your yeah it isn't just your service elevator to use per se yeah. but a lot of people think it is yeah. it's really surprising that in a community building like this how many people feel so entitled that they should be able to use it whenever they want and unfortunately that's just not it's not the case and it's not ever going to work that way and so i try to be really proactive i try to communicate regularly with our dock manager on each of the buildings but especially with ours here being my personal home and residence at 44 east i want to make sure that everybody that works here knows my name and understands what i'm trying to do and that i'm not trying to piss anyone off that i'm trying to do everything the right way they can just help me if i'm doing something that i shouldn't be to let me know so i can do it differently you don't want to be getting a scowl from the front staff every time you leave to go get a coffee and come back in the morning my goal is to make their jobs easier that's at the end of the day that's what i want i want everybody's job to be easier and for things to go as smoothly as possible so that everybody gets their job done and that there's no issues it doesn't work that way but we try and it's also the surprising thing to me that like more people don't understand that that's the way to potentially get something done that's a little bit outside the box from time to time instead of again you talk like the entitlement instead of just expecting that i can I, i just can do this no if you play by the rules and are over communicative with the staff, with the people that need to um, For sure. be there. Then suddenly when something, a delay happens and, and, yeah, yeah. and you need to change it around, they're way more likely to say, oh yeah, we can make that work for you. Instead of just saying, nope, sorry, you're gonna have to do it some other time. So Tiff's treats also helps. <laughs> There's not a whole lot Tiff Treats doesn't doesn't help. I'm like, Tiff's Treats are my best friend. I try to send those on a regular basis to the buildings that I'm working in. That's right to their heart. Yes. No, again, yeah. Never had anyone complain about Tiff's Treats at all that way. Another thing that I know I overheard you guys talking about when I was there on Wednesday too, though, was was the size of one. You guys have a kind of a unique door coming in for office to make an office space. And another thing that I think people have to make sure they keep in mind on high-rise condos and condos in general is like how they're going to get the materials up there. Now, again, most flooring and that kind of stuff. Okay, great. It's in boxes, not a big deal, but it's possible that someone thinks of, oh, this would be great in the unit, but how are you going to get it up to the 32nd floor? You're not carrying up the stairs and even doing that. And so like understanding just the logistics of what the rate elevator is and getting all that kind of in place before you go order $1,500. I can't tell you how many times that I've had clients that have ordered something and this was prior to us working with them, but they've told us a story about how they ordered a piece of furniture and it wouldn't go up their elevator or it wouldn't go up the stairs because they had a really sharp turn. So they bought a piece and then they had to send it back 
or they had something that they had to try to sell because it was not returnable. And they didn't pull out a tape measure just to, to see if it was going to actually fit or not. Yeah. And that actually, I mean, for the door you're talking about that we're going to be installing in this unit here, that was a big part of why we did our pre-construction, pre-construction walkthrough. So the one before you came to, we had done another one with everybody on site and we had talked through, Matt had his door guy on site. And so we talked through that and said, okay, well, how high can we make this? And then we measured all the doors and we checked the freight elevator and we're like, this is how high, this is the highest that we can make this so that it will actually fit when we bring it in. Yeah. And we had to change the plans because we wanted to make it bigger, but we just couldn't do it. Couldn't remember. You don't want, you don't want the raw scene from friends where they're trying to pivot up the couch. <laughs> but yeah. Speaking of clients or potential clients that have had kind of that PSTD from not getting things done right the first time, we were talking a little bit beforehand as well about a client that's looking at potentially remodeling a place partially because that hasn't been, it hasn't been that long ago that because he had done the remodel, he said, what, five years ago? Yeah. And like it's, I generally, I generally don't recommend people getting their place remodeled every five years. Now, you, if you have the money to do it, you go wild and get it remodeled every five months. I don't really care. Yeah. That'd be great. That's great job security if you can have a, re, a revolving client every five months. But, right, generally you are you're trying to think of hopefully getting remodeled that it's a more a longer term, uh, sure, play because usually you're not going to return the get the return on investment from a financial standpoint if you're remodeling that quickly. But part of the reason that they were looking at remodeling was the fact that the the previous person they used just wasn't not that they weren't good but they weren't necessarily listening to the client's needs and we were talking a little bit about how that's way more common than when people realize in both of our industries on the design side and on the real estate side yeah and i think also the clients themselves a lot of them won't speak up they don't feel comfortable speaking up or saying something until it's too late or they they wait till the project's done and then they might leave a bad review or they might just talk bad to, about it to their friends and their experience, but they never really say anything to the designer. And that I think goes in any industry, right? I wish more people would speak up early. I've never really had that problem. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> sometimes I'm, to my own fault, but I think that in that particular situation, yeah, he was not pleased with the outcome of some of the design choices that were made and didn't feel like he had been fully consulted and I think he put a lot of trust in that person to make those decisions when I think she probably should have taken a little bit more of a stance of, yes, he wants me to just take the reins, but I also need some more feedback from him. Sure. And so that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to take a step back and really make sure before we go forward sourcing any actual construction work that we have him signed, sealed, and delivered on this particular design. Yeah. And I say, I think it's, it definitely happens in real estate. Now it's rare that someone goes out and buys a home that they don't really end up wanting. What usually I'll see more so is they'll, I'll have someone that starts to work with me who was working with another real estate agent and was like, they just kept showing me homes that weren't at all what we were looking for whatever reason. Like they were too big, too small, wrong part of town. Like they, they what usually in my experience is the realtor finds homes that the realtor likes, assumes that the other person will like, but the other person's, the home buyer's situation is completely different, right? I've helped clients buy homes that I personally wouldn't have bought, not because I wouldn't have bought, not because the homes themselves were bad, but they were in parts of town that I didn't want to live. They were much larger than homes that I wouldn't, I don't, I'm single. I don't need a three, four bedroom home that's 3,000 square feet. That doesn't, wouldn't, isn't mm -hmm. a smart thing for me. I don't, I like not having to do a bunch of yard work. So I wouldn't want an acre of space and stuff that way. But a lot of times 
realtors and designers and stuff either don't listen or they say they also don't ask enough questions up front. Like they, you hear someone say who isn't experienced in buying a home or getting design done. Hey, yeah, that here's, here are the highlight of things that I want and I'm, I trust you. And it's, we're going to trust me to ask you the right questions so we can get you the right, right thing. Not just trust me to go forward and, and buy a house for you because you said you trust me. Right. And there are people out there that are okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly fine. There's definitely designers out there that have a very specific aesthetic mm -hmm. and people go to them because they like that aesthetic and they want them to just choose and pick everything for them. And then there's other people that they really want something specific for themselves. Maybe they can't articulate it very well. And I think that's our job as professionals to be able to get that out of them in whatever way we can, whether it's asking really good questions, showing them examples, just being able to pull out what it is that is in their heart's desire and not our own. Yeah. One of the things I found too, is that it's a lot of times easier to get a client to say no. So if they're kind of bordering on a few things, like I can be like, Ooh, let me show them this house. I don't think they'll like it, but now they'll be able to articulate why they don't like it. And then that will lead to, okay, so you don't like it because of this. Then let's look at what the opposite of that. Oh, we don't like it because it's two stories instead of one story. We didn't like it because of something with a layout or again, the size of the yard and stuff. And a lot of times- It's really funny that you say that. Yeah. A lot of times it's not that they suddenly have this light bulb aha moment because again, they're not doing it on a regular basis, but it's a lot easier for them to say, no, I don't, this doesn't- It's getting them to make a decision. Yeah. One way or the other, they're making a decision. And when they make a decision, they feel empowered. Yeah. And even if it's something as small as like when I'm on my wardrobe side of the business, when I'm showing clients ties, for example, I know I'm going to show them a couple of ugly ones because I want them to say no. <laughs> I want them to say, nope, we're a process of elimination. And then we're going to narrow it down to two or three that they really love. And that's how you get people to start actually moving forward and making progress. Yeah. Although, yeah, otherwise it's, again, it's, there's just so many decisions to make that if it's okay, just again, what kind of design do you want? There's just so many options that it's the analysis by paralysis kind of syndrome of, I don't know, I trust you. Let's again, that's great, but let's start actually figuring out what that is because in most cases there are, um, some more specifics. There might be a few different options that would work for them, whether it's their clothing, whether it's their interior design, whether it's the home, but let's figure out what those few specific things are, then make sure the budget works. And then from there we can go and actually move forward with what, what's going on. Yeah. When we start working with design clients and most of mine being guys, they typically fall into one of two or three categories as far as the design goes. But I have design boards of pretty much all the different designs that you could have out there, whether it's mid-century or modern or minimalist modern farmhouse. I have all of these that I can show them. And then I'm like, let's narrow down the ones that you like. And it has pictures, like inspiration pictures from each of those styles in bedrooms, kitchens, bathrooms, and living areas. And so they can look at these and pretty quickly, you can eliminate the ones that they don't like. And then we can start to hone in on the stuff that they do. And they might pull some from each different board and we might find two or three that they actually like. And that's where we start from. And then we'll create mood boards based off of those and try to hone in a little bit more on theirs based on specific questions that we ask during the design phase. Yeah. Aside from not asking enough questions or not talking enough during the process, is there, are there any other things you would recommend to a client to help make the process smoother, easier, more bet, more of a positive experience for them? You mean as far as the overall design process? Yeah. 
Like just yeah. you, you were mentioning, like you were mentioning that right, like that people, like in his case, he, he probably knew somewhere during the process that he didn't like what this other designer was doing, but didn't speak up. And you're like, speak up. But so aside <laughs> from something like that, what is are there is there anything else kind of pet peeve wise or things that would be beneficial to you and a client that a lot of times maybe they don't do or they don't realize they sh could or should do that would be helpful during the process? Yeah, I think the speaking up is a big one. I think that is difficult for anybody. Like most people don't like confrontation, whether it's good or bad confrontation. I don't think that they want to have that. And so it can be challenging. I think it's more important on the designer to elicit that from them as much as possible. So I try to do regular check-ins like, how are you feeling about everything? What, is there anything that we could be doing more, better, or different? I try to keep that open dialogue so they don't feel like they have to say it first because that's where they, they might have a hard time to say it. But if I bring it up, then they're like, oh, actually, now that you ask, and then they feel more comfortable being able to say those things for sure. And then I think just having at least some kind of an idea before you jump into remodeling your house, it's probably a good idea to go through and look at Pinterest or look at some kind of inspiration photos online or in magazines and just get an overall feel of like what you like. Maybe have some of those ready to go for the initial design meeting because that will give the designer a really good place to jump off of. Most people don't know design lingo and verbiage and the designer might be asking questions like, it might be a little lost in translation in the beginning. And so having some pictures like, okay, you really love this style. And then here we can show you some more examples of that. So we know that we're on the same page. Yeah, no, I think in, in any industry, right. But obviously in both your and my industry, like there's a lot of verbiage specific to the industry that unfortunately people like ourselves can start using when we need to make sure and realize that not everyone knows all the acronyms that I can use, like the 35 different acronyms that I can use for real estate <laughs> and HOA and PITI and all that kind of stuff. And it's important to try to communicate on the level that the client's at, but then also you say, make sure that they're comfortable asking questions and providing feedback because that's, it's their, it's ultimately their home that they're buying or redesigning and we want them to have as good of experience as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Somehow half an hour has gone by and it doesn't, super fast. And so now since it's a Friday, we should be going to happy hour, I think, but we will have to share some more tips and insights on the next episode, but I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I'm looking forward to the next one. It's always a lot of fun.